scripture that can be found in the inside of the bulletin. You may notice that it's not on the book of Luke. We have finished the book of Luke uh, 95 sermons later. Very similar to Martin Luther's 95 thesis. Uh, I, I tried to nail it to the door, but it's glass. So the, I had to replace the pane. That was a little embarrassing. Um, so we're going to look. Uh, I have two more messages before uh, I'm heading off for sabbatical. Did we end up uh, printing out those FAQs? Um, that'll be next week. But in the e-news, some of you are asking questions like, well, well Carlos is going to be gone. If I have an issue or a problem, where do I go? Who do I talk to? Well, remember, we are a Presbyterian church, that there are four elders of which I am the teaching elder. So I assure you, ministry is going to continue on. Uh, we're going to have uh, having folks fill the pulpit, including uh, the Reverend Paul Wrigley uh, will, be, uh, will be preaching some for us. But uh, this next week, you're going to have an FAQs that it's going to help to talk about um, it is on the website in terms of uh, just questions you may have while I'm on sabbatical for the next three months. So I tried to pick two different messages that I wanted to leave you with uh, before I head off on my sojourn around the globe. Um, and this one is about love. And so 1 John 2, 7 through 14 is what we are looking at. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. The word of the Lord. Well, I don't know if you saw the news that an actress passed uh, this week. Her name was Erin Moran. Uh, she was also known as Joni Cunningham on the show Happy Days. Some of you uh, of the younger generation are asking, what the heck is Happy Days? Well, it was a sitcom in the, I don't know, 50s, 60s, and there was Joni Cunningham. And, of course, Joni fell in love with Scott Bayo, Chachi. In fact, well, a little shout-out there on Chachi. Uh, in fact, there was a spin-off. Chachi was Fonzie's cousin, right, who worked at Fonzie's Garage. There was even a little spin-off, Joni Loves Chachi which was a show uh, that was on for a while. And uh, so it was very interesting. Uh, this was a post that Scott Bayo, uh, Chachi, put out about Aaron, Aaron Moran's life. My thing is I feel bad because her whole life she was troubled. Could never find what made her happy and content. For me, you do drugs or drink, you're going to die. For, uh, 
I'm sorry if that's cold, but God gave you a brain, gave you the will to live and thrive, and you got to take care of yourself. Well, that brought a lot of consternation and gnashing of teeth from uh, Joni fans because uh, Joni loves Chachi and Chachi loves Joni. And so for Scott Bayo to say such harsh things about Aaron Moran was, uh, you know, a little bit painful for some people. You know, there's certain things that go together, right? Joni and Chachi, uh, peanut butter and jelly, uh, coffee and cream, right? So it's a little strange when you put two things together that aren't supposed to go together. Uh, we call that an oxymoron, actually. So here are a couple of examples of things that aren't supposed to go together. Uh, airline food, for instance. Those don't seem to be used in the same sense. Or, uh, how about acting naturally? Act naturally. Well, what other way would you act, right? Act artificially. You shouldn't have to act naturally. You should just be naturally. How about this one? I listen, I listen to soft rock. What the heck is soft rock, right? How about this one? A temporary tax increase. That is certainly an oxymoron. No such thing. My, uh, one of my friends, I always asked, uh, asked him, uh, are you coming to the thing tonight? And he would always say, you know what? I'm a definite maybe. And then, of course, the final one, Microsoft works. It's kind of a cheap shot from an Apple user. There's some things that don't go together. Light and darkness. Hatred and love. And what John is writing here, what he's communicating, is essentially that what we say should line up with how we live. Another way of saying it is what we display must line up with what we say. Because Christianity and love are things that should be used in the same sentence. To love Christ and to hate my brother is an oxymoron. And so we must take this passage and we must massage it into our life. We must take a look at our life. We must examine, is my life lining up with my words? Is there integrity to them or is there dissonance and discord? The reality is what this passage is teaching us is that Christ has called us to a new standard of love. Not a standard of the world, but a standard of the kingdom. He's given us a new standard of love. He's also given us a proof of our love. A way to examine our lives to see if there is congruity. And then finally, He's given us a new power to love. It's not just enough to know how to love. We need power to love. So he's given us a new standard, a new proof, and a new power. Because ultimately, what we display must line up with what we say. Well, let's look at these three things. We'll look at, number one, a new standard of love. Paul, be, uh, excuse me, John begins by saying, Beloved, I am writing you a new command, not a new commandment, but an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Now, how is it old? There is this thought out there that the, new, uh, that the God of the New Testament is God of love. But the God of the Old Testament, he's a God of wrath and war, and therefore we don't like him. But the reality is the greatest commandment actually comes from the Old Testament. John put it another way in 1 John 3.11, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should 
love one another. It was Leviticus 19.18 that said, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible in the Old Testament, that said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. See, what God commands us to do, God has hardwired into us to do. And God hardwired humanity to love. Man and woman were created to love. It's in us. And so in the beginning, before the sin, Adam and Eve, there was a deference and a love and a care for one another. But it was the effect of sin that twisted that, that brought hatred into the world. Remember, Adam and Eve's first action was what? To hide from one another and then to blame one another. To blame shift. And then, of course, Cain and Abel, who came right after. For Cain murdered Abel. It was 1 John 3.12 that says, Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. No, the command to love has been there from the beginning. But 1 John 2.8 says, At the same time, it is a new command that I am writing you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. How is this old commandment become a new commandment? Because Jesus has come and he has expanded that old commandment. He's given it new meaning. He's gone ahead and breathed new life into it. How is this a new commandment to love one another? Well, it was Jesus in John 13, 34 that said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. See, Jesus is saying, now you're not just supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. You're supposed to love your neighbor in the way that I have loved you, which is more than yourself, right? Christ did not just love us as himself, but he loved us more than himself. In fact, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. We are to love people with a sacrificial love that goes beyond even the love that we have for ourselves. Well, how can we embrace such a command? He gives us the reasons, the two reasons we can embrace this command. Number one, because it is true in Him and it's true in us. You see, the, Christ practiced what He preached as He came and loved and demonstrated the sacrificial love. And He put His Spirit in our hearts. What is true in Him is now true in us. In other words, because Christ is in us and because we are a new creation in Christ, He's given us a heart that can love in such a way that goes beyond even equal love for ourselves. It's an all-encompassing love. It's a give-everything love. It's a risky love. It's true, says the Scriptures, not only in Christ, but it's true in you and you and you. And it's also because, 
as the verse says, the darkness is passing away and the true light is shining. There was a seismic shift that happened that day on the cross. That day that Christ demonstrated in his self-sacrificial love and then on the resurrection from the cross that there was a shift in the world. Redemption has come into the world. A thawing, if you will. See, Christ's love is now shining in the world. His presence is in the world. Christ has risen. And in a sense, in our hearts, death is working backwards in motion, isn't it? I love that great uh, story. The, it wasn't the Lion, the Witch. Yeah, I think it was the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It was the first one where Father Christmas comes, you know, and if you remember the kids, they're in Narnia, and everything is starting to melt, isn't it? And he goes ahead and he hands them these tools and everything, and they're wondering what's going on because it's always been winter and it's never been Christmas. And he simply says that Aslan is on the move. And the wicked witch actually is, you know, in her sleigh and it gets stuck because the snow is thawing and the runners can't run on the tundra. The true light is shining in the world, shining in us. And so Christ has called us to a new standard, a risky love, a dangerous love. Because Christians change the world through love. You know, Christianity is unique. No other religion or philosophy values and practices wholesale taking care of the young, sick, orphaned, oppressed, and widowed, hands-on and sacrificially. To the ancient Greeks and Romans, life was cheap. Infanticide, baby killing, was condoned and practiced for centuries without guilt or remorse and extolled by Greco-Roman mythologies. This ungodly practice was opposed by Christians whose compassionate example eventually caused Roman emperors to outlaw it. First century art shows believers rescuing unwanted Roman babies from the Tiber River and raising them as their own. Christianity filled the pagan void that largely ignored the sick and dying, especially during pestilences. Christians provided shelters for the poor and pilgrims along with medical care. Christian hospitals were the first voluntary charitable institutions. The church to this day is the largest single provider of health care and education in the world, working especially in some of the poorest countries where there is no other care available. Think of the great reform movements of the world. The care of orphans, child labor laws, the reform of slavery, civil rights, care for the elderly and disabled. If you get to the root of their cause, you'll discover that it's the love of Christ that prompted Christians to step into that space. Do you know that in India, one of the largest populous populations in the world, there are only 2% Christians of the population, yet the majority of social welfare programs are run by Christians. 2.3%. See, the reason, my friends, is that we don't belong to the old world. We belong to the new world. We are ahead of our time, so to speak. So what does all this mean? You know, you can know everything about the Bible. In the PCA, we prompt ourselves 
on our knowledge of Scripture. We're the PCA. We're right, darn it. You can know the Bible, but not have the love of God. You can have faith that move mountains, but if you have no love, you have nothing. And so we must examine our definition of love. What's yours? Well, I love those who love me, but I hate those who hate me. Well, of course, Carlos, I'm going to love people, but I'm not going to go too far. I mean, that's risky, you know? I'm going to be reasonable in these things. But the standard is no greater love than he who give up his life for his friends. What about how you love your husband or your wife? Oh, I'll love them as long as they love me. But once they stop loving me, that's where the line is drawn. For our kids, yeah, I feed them, I'll take care of them. But will I give up my time? Will I practice risky love? Will I embody a love that goes the extra mile? Will I give myself away to the stranger, the one who might exploit me, the one who I don't know, the one who I don't have anything to gain from caring for? Jesus is saying a new command I've given you. That's our standard. And we must go out and live it. Well, this leads me to my second point, a new proof of love. Verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Now, let me translate that in English. It's actually whoever is saying, I know God, but is hating his brother is still in darkness. It's not talking about individual instances, but rather it's talking about a pattern of your life your modus operandi, so to speak. We must acknowledge the rest of the Bible that we do fail, we do sin. We do have periods where we fall short. But it's saying if you are hating your brother, if you're not loving, but you're saying you're in the light, you're lying to yourself. You're still in the darkness. Now we must ask the question, who is my brother? Many of us think of the parable of the Good Samaritan who helped the person who was uh, in the street. But he asked the question, who is my neighbor? To be sure that standard holds for us. But he's speaking specifically about the brother and sister in the church. See, First John is a letter written to a church. So who is my brother and sister? It's the person sitting to your right. It's the person sitting to your left. It's the person in the pew in front of you and the person behind you. Saying these are the people that we are to love. And if we don't love, we're still in darkness. When I think of darkness, I think of hell. Jesus speaks often about hell and in hell he refers to it as a place where people are thrown out into the darkness where there is a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. It's a place of blindness and sadness and hatred and anger. There's no better example of one who masquerades in the light but is darkness. Satan, right? Who masquerades as an angel of light. And yet he's utterly lost. 
When we say we know Christ, but we don't love, we're in darkness. In our hearts, we've lost the way. But whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him, there is no cause for stumbling. Whoever is loving his brother, whoever is seeking the good of the people around them, is looking to their needs, is loving them and being patient and kind with them. What we discover with these people is that their footsteps are firm. Irregardless of the situation, there seems to be a peace, a steadiness, a confidence, if you will, that they're standing on firm ground, even if their conditions are uncertain. See, this, what this passage is telling us is that love isn't truly love until we give it away. James says, suppose you see a brother or sister who is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the needs for the body. What good is that? It's only when we pour out love out of our hearts that we can truly see the world, that we can truly see each other, that we can truly see ourselves. And there is no cause for stumbling. It is love that brings light. And if I truly want to see, I must choose to love. Verse 11 says, But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because darkness has blinded his eyes. Have you ever noticed how hatred blinds you? When you're truly angry at someone or something, it begins to fill your heart until there's nothing else that you can see. Everything else recedes into the distance and you begin to hold on to it and savor it and it feeds you in some evil way. I think it was the Chinese that says whenever someone looks for revenge, he should dig two graves, one for himself and one for the other. Because when you hate, everybody becomes a stranger and you become lost. I remember when I was doing some marathon training, which is a form of self-hatred, I guess. You have to run these long runs, right? And uh, like 20 milers, you know, the goal is to just stay on your feet. And so I was training for a marathon and it was in the winter and I needed to run 20 miles. And I live in the Great Neck area and so roughly to run 20 miles is you run down uh, First Colonial and then you take a left on Laskin like you're going to the beach. Then you take a left up, uh, you know, the, the beach. You cut over in First Landing there on 66th Street and go on down uh, to a Great Neck and you come back. That's about 20 miles. So who has time to run 20 miles when you have young kids, you know? So I'd wake up early. I think I woke up at 4.30. You know, and I got my power bars. I got my, you know, water and I'm ready to go. So I start running. And it is dark. And by the time I get to 66th Street to turn, I think it's there, to turn into First Landing, I'm going to run through that long uh, path in the park. Well, there's one problem. It's pitch dark. 
And there's no lights anywhere in First Landing. So I've got two options. I can either continue to run around, skip that and just go around to shore and that makes another six miles making 27 miles. Or I can run through the pitch dark. And I confess I'm very scared. I'm probably a five-year-old girl at this time. Okay? But it's time. I've got to run through and I'm going to run through as fast as I can. But anybody who's run through that path knows that it's uneven. There's stumps and things, you know, uh, you know sticking in the ground. Not stumps, but the, the roots. It's a little bit uneven. How am I going to be able to see those things? And so I start running, but I think it would be more of a stumble than a run. Sort of high-stepping it, trying to stay in the middle, trying to see as best as I can. By the time I got out of there, I think I was so, uh, you know, with the jitters or whatever, it, it, it may have scarred me emotionally. I don't think I've ever been the same. You know, when you live like that, where every step is uncertain, where you can't see, where you live in fear, that's no way to live life. It's not the life that Christ has called us to. But when we choose to hate, we will choose an uncertain path that is dangerous and that will ultimately bring us down. And so, as we've examined our standard of love, we must examine our life for proof. How are you doing? There's no other place to look than to our right or to our left. See, he's talking about loving your brother, isn't he? It's one of the things I love about church and membership. We take membership very seriously here. And if you're an attender, if you've been coming for a while, if you're checking out Redeemer, we love you too. We're glad you're here. But there's something about being a member. Because being a member shows commitment. It's you saying, I'm in. I'm here for you and you're here for me. We're in this together. We're linking arms. I've said before, it's not a question of where you're supposed to, whether you're supposed to be a member of a church, but where. So find that place and grow there. Because commitment is the foundation of love. So are you here, not just for yourself, for other, but for others, or are you only here for me? There's nothing casual about love. See, what commitment and love for a brother and sister means is this. That Darla's cancer is our cancer. That the passing of John Heinemann's father and his mourning is our mourning. But if your attitude is, don't bother me. Don't ask anything of me. Let me suggest to you that there are plenty of churches that are available that you can go to that will cater to your every whim and need. It's wonderful and it's unbiblical. And so I challenge you to enter into someone else's world. Be a part of a community group. Call someone. Go to lunch with them. Hear their story. Go ahead and open your heart. Be willing to share your fears and the realities of your life situation. 
Let people in. Let people come alongside you to carry your hurts and you carry them. Change the value and priority of your relationships. What would we look like as a church if we did this with one another? I don't think there would be enough seats in the place, frankly. Everybody's looking for some place like that. That's what Christ has called us to. Because what you display will ultimately verify or nullify what you say. Well, this brings me to my final point, the power to love. The ideal is here, but how do we follow through? It's easy to hear this message and get excited. But then we go out and all of a sudden something annoys us and we find ourselves instantly angry. And we hear the whisper of Satan, you're not like that. You could never be like that. And we just stop trying. But the reality is we need something than simply trying harder, don't we? I said before and I say it again, the Christian life isn't difficult. The Christian life is impossible. Love is ultimately a response to God's love. It's ultimately God working in my heart. Because I have no love to give away of my own. But he is in me and his love is in me. As 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. See, the reality is I can't. But he can. And he's in me and I'm in him. I won't love. But he will. And he's in me. And I'm in him. I don't even want to. But he wants to. And he's in me. And I'm in him. See, the love shone out of the darkness. And though the darkness wants to overtake, we must be confident in Christ. For he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. All Satan has against us is lies. And so we have been given reasons here. We must remember who we are. We must rehearse the gospel and act in faith. We must remember to safeguard the treasure that is inside of us. That's why John writes, I write to you because your sins are forgiven. I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. See, he's reminding them that the reason you can love this way is because Christ loved you. For God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved you because he wanted to. Sometimes I'll wear, uh, as a necklace, I'll wear, I have a cross. Uh, and, and I wear the cross that has Jesus on it. I think that may be against the Westminster Confession. I might get dragged out of here in a second. But the reason I put, I have him on the cross, sometimes I'll take out my necklace and when I'm working on my computer, I'll just set the cross right there so I can see him while I'm working on my computer because I need to remember his love for me. I need to hold it high in my heart. I need to remember that I'm free 
that my sins are forgiven. He says, I'm writing to you because you know him who is from the beginning. In fact, know is in the perfect tense. It means that you know him and you will always know him. That you're knowing him, in fact. You're in a relationship with God the Father. So go to him. Meet with the God who wants to meet with you. Be in his presence. Savor his love. I write to you because you have overcome the evil one. Remember that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's true, you know, that we have overcome him, that we are overcoming him by the blood of the lamb. I don't feel that way. Truth is truth. And God's word abides in you. I have in my hands one of my favorite things, a rock. It's actually a special rock. You've heard of my special love for soapstone. In Finland, they have a word for it. It's called tulikivi, which means firestone. And the reason it has firestone, it has a special property. And that's why we actually have some of it in Virginia. It's under the Blue Ridge Mountains. The way this stone is, it's a metamorphic rock, is because it occurs where tectonic plates shift and create tremendous heat and pressure on whatever is under it. And under that immense heat and pressure, it develops its own quantities. And so what's amazing about this stone is that when it's subjected to heat, it, instead of dissipating the heat, it retains it and it holds it and it absorbs it. It, in essence, traps it and it'll radiate it for the next 15 hours. See, it actually likes to get close to the heat. And it holds on to it and it savors it. And if you get enough of it together, it'll radiate it out and it'll warm your house, at least theoretically. You know, I want us to be firestone for the Lord. We're new creations in Him, designed and created to hold Him. But we have to be warmed. We have to be warmed by the gospel. We have to be warmed by going into his presence. We have to be warmed by hearing his word. We have to be warmed by reading and savoring his word. We must feed the gospel to each other every day. Telling each other your sins are forgiven. We must get close to Christ and the Father. And as we do, we will become curiously warmer and warmer. And we can't help but radiate that heat to each other. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that what we have is from God and not from us. It's a supernatural love, my friends. And so as I am gone for the next three months, though I'll be here next week, let us practice our love for one another in our homes, with ourselves, and with each other. By this the world will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another.
We have a new standard of love. We have a way to prove our love. And we've been given a new power to love. Ultimately, in the end, God, while we were cold, you placed a fire in our hearts, your Holy Spirit, by which you cleansed us, you washed us, and made us a habitable dwelling by which your Spirit would live. God, help us to not be taken in by the lies of the world. Help us to live by your standard, to give ourselves away, to walk in faith, holding close to you. And as we love our brother and our sister with a sacrificial love, may we see life for what it is. May we see you more clearly. And may you give even more heat to our heart as we are consumed with love for you and your people in the world.